Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another uh, podcast for the Stable Science podcast from Dr. David Marlin. Uh, my name is Gillian Tabor. I'm an equine physiotherapist. Uh, I'm an ACPAT and a RAMP physiotherapist as well. So uh, this this time on the podcast, I am very pleased to be joined by a fellow physiotherapist called Joe Paul, and um, we're going to talk about uh regulation of my uh, professional industry within musculoskeletal practice um, when I'm treating animals. So I'm going to hand over to Joe just to introduce herself to start with. So Joe, thank you for joining me and can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Well hi everyone and thanks to Gillian for inviting me onto this podcast. Um, my name's Joe Paul as Gillian said and I am a chartered physiotherapist. I am a member of ACPAT and I am a RAMP registrant. I mainly treat horses and only three days a week now because I'm sort of trying to retire, but the rest of the time is really taken up probably two or three days a week with with ramp work. So I'm here to talk about it. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so we mentioned this word ramp. So I think the first question I have for you is, uh, yeah, what is ramp? Well, RAMPS is the acronym for the Register of Animal Musculoskeletal Practitioners, which is a bit of a mouthful, but basically it's a voluntary industry regulatory body for the professions of chiropractic, osteopathy and physiotherapy within animal therapy. 
Brilliant. Okay, so um, so tell me a little bit about sort of where did Ramp come from and, and why does Ramp exist? Well, the professions are all protected, have all protected titles within human care. They're all statutory regulated, which means that you have to be a member of these regulatory bodies to practice. And these regulatory bodies were only for people trained in human therapy. But as we know, this time has gone on, then we have a lot more people who just want to train in, in the veterinary field. So really, these um, human in the human side of things, uh, the industries have developed standards and practices mainly over the last oh, 30 years. We've had some form of statutory regulation and we have no statutory regulation in animal work. So this is why RAMP is a voluntary industry regulator, because you don't have to be a member of RAMP you, to practice, but it is good practice to be accountable to, to a register. Now, so the individual professions were tried numerous times to get protection of title for people who were qualified in human therapy and then had done postgraduate education in animal therapy. And really, there was a meeting in 2009 um, organised by Lantra, and they brought everybody together to try and find some common ground to see if we could regulate the animal professions in a similar way. And nothing really happened. There was discussions and people worried about losing business and people worried about the integrity of their individual profession. So the founders of RAMP came from the three professions that we regulate. And they decided that because we had the statutory regulation, we had already professional status in humans. And if we could use these um, standards and practices to inform a, a register for animal practitioners, then that would be a way of not involving everybody within the musculoskeletal industry, but the three professions that were already regulated. So there was a DEFRA commissioned a project called the Regime of Minor Procedures Review. And that basically did a survey of um, practitioners, of the public, of veterinary surgeons. And they really came up with the, the conclusion from that survey, to, you know, to make it a short story, um, that the industry was in chaos. So nobody knew who was qualified, who wasn't qualified, what professions they were um, representing, what treatment they were delivering. Um, and so from there, um, the DEFRA suggested to the three, three founders, three professions, that they started and looked at an industry solution, which became the voluntary register. So that was um, really from 2015 to 2017, when we accepted the first registrants on, on the RAMP register. So that's a very long story made very short. But. Well, um, I know, um, you know, we both have been qualified for quite a while. And I can remember discussions in the 90s about, you know, all of this. And actually, I remember when the title physiotherapist became protected for um, treating human patients. And then 
we all had to join the um, Healthcare Professions Council. It was HPC at that time. Um, and we, um, yeah, and, and then that became our uh, body, didn't it? That, or our uh, register at that time. But it's, so RAMP is different from the professional associations, isn't it? So I'm a member of, well, we are members of ACPAT, which we mentioned earlier. So for those that don't know, ACPAT is the Association of Chartered Physiotherapists in Animal Therapy. Sorry, and it's a, a professional network group of the Chartered Society of Physiotherapists, which uh, physiotherapy, which um, we belong to as sort of human practitioners. So are there equivalent um, professional associations for the osteopaths and the chiropractors as well for their animal practice? Yeah, the, there are. There are several. There's actually 12 professional associations that oh. feed into RAMP. I did. So, right. OK. We, yeah. Um, so we have NAVP. Uh, we're great on acronyms in the <laughs> animal and MSK industry. Um, and if I went, if I go through the whole thing, then probably um, you'll all go to sleep. So the, we have NAVP, um, IRVAP, and IAT, which and ACPAT, which are all physiotherapy professional associations. And we also deal with the Charter Society of Physiotherapists as well. Um, for we have the British Veterinary Chiropractic Association, the McTimony Chiropractic Association, the McTimony Animal Association, yeah. and we have the um, Association of Animal Osteopaths as well. So we, which was SOAP, um, the Society of Osteopaths and Animal Practice. Mm. So we have a fair few, um, and we have various other chiropractic organizations um that have maybe two or three animal uh, cares i mustn't forget the royal college of chiropractic animal faculty because they are very supportive and helpful with with ramp as well Um, so we have 12 professional associations whose members um mostly are eligible for ramp registration but it's so important we started off we were we insisted that practitioners, when they joined RAMP, were a member of a professional association as well. That has actually changed to advice. And the reason that we advise people to, to join a professional association is that they, there's, it's, they, they fill a far different function in that they support the clinician. They provide CPD, mentorship. They do um, provide... Um, standards and practices for their individual members Mm. but if there was a complaint against one of their members we would hope that the professional standards uh, the professional association who stand in to protect or to support that practitioner whereas we're the regulatory body we're there primarily to protect the public Mm -hmm. and their animals so we um, set standards and these standards are very similar, but not doggedly adhered to the human statutory regulatory bodies because they were there anyway and they allowed us mm. to use them. So that was a no brainer not to use them. Um, so we're there to set these standards. We're there to maintain a, a competent register of people who yearly um, renew and, and prove that they've maintained their CPD and their insurance and their professional declarations. Um, and we're also there to provide a complaints um, function for the public and for vets and for any other practitioners. 
So we will take if some some one of our registrants is seen perhaps not to have fulfilled the best practice, then that complaint can be made to us and we will fully we have a process that we can fully investigate it. And actually, I'm really pleased to say that in the time that we've been going, we've not had many complaints, probably about 15, and only two of those have been things that we've had to go on to further investigate. We don't take complaints from other practitioners. So the next door practitioner reckons that you've, you're have um, you undercutting them. So we don't actually take those sort of complaints. But mm-hmm. things like communication between owners and vets and and um, and practitioners mm-hmm. are something that we sometimes get, and usually just by um, just by speaking and communicating and getting these parties speaking together, it's all it's all fine. We don't have anything that we can do sanction wise other than remove somebody from the register, but we can suggest CPD, and if they're if if they genuinely want to improve their practice, then mm-hmm. then they'll comply with that and. And hopefully stay within the register because yeah. that's our our job. We want people to be registered, but on the other hand, we're not there to support them. The but the professional associations are. So yeah. best to join both if you if you can. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So then, if I was um, a practitioner that um, didn't necessarily know um, about your sort of entry criteria to become a registrant what how do you decide who can um, come in your register and who who um, needs to perhaps do some extra training or, or needs to look at their um, sort of background before they can come on your register well we have three very clear ways of of joining you can either do a course that is um, that is either an integrated master's in veterinary um practitioner whether it's to chiropractic osteopathy or um, physiotherapy or you can be a human trained um, statutory regulated practitioner mm-hmm. and do a postgraduate mm-hmm. course in animal yes. animal work um, and the stipulation for those is that you have to do a minimum of 200 hours practical work as well as probably a PGDIP or MSc Mm-hmm. Um, the other, the, and then you can do a four-year BSc, um, again in one of the veterinary straight in the veterinary process, professions, and that tends to be more physiotherapy. There is now an integrated master in chiropractic, mm-hmm. um, and but um, mm-hmm. I think all of the osteopathic courses are generally for people who have trained as humans, uh, human as humans, <laughs> as human qualified. <laughs> practitioners yeah um, and then so that's our direct entry route but you also we also have a pathway um route application so a pre and that combines various courses to meet the same level of education as you would in a bsc or level mm-hmm. six um course for one of the the three professions in human work so that's your first day on the ward yeah. just qualified um and and they can <laughs> i don't know about you Gillian, but it took me half an hour to assess somebody with a collis fracture on my first day in the ward so um <laughs> it's not rocket science but it is it is a standard and it's a degree entry standard or yeah. level standard and each of these courses they um have to have a thousand practical hours within them mm-hmm. um and they what we have done for um, to make sure 
that people are doing the same relevant topics as they would do in a straightforward, say, veterinary physiotherapy BSc, is that we developed a mapping course based on the courses that existed and also on the human courses that were there. So that basically comes into 50% of the course needs to be core knowledge and skills, 10% personal and professional development, 20 to 30% um, wider healthcare requirements, which in humans is the public health health um, mm-hmm. topics, and also the research. So we, we have the same um, percentages within a programme, a mapping programme. And that programme we sent to the... Um, Office of Professionalist Qualifications, and they did an external audit on the on the mapping process. So they were came back saying they were satisfied that mm-hmm. our mapping process of being able to combine all these different courses, but they have to be a level four RFQ level four and above. So anybody with level three courses, I'm afraid we don't count that because no. that's not equivalent to the first year of university. No. So it's a level four, level five, 200, minimum 240 credits, which would be your first and second year in a BSc programme. And we have to have a minimum of 120 credits, which would be your third year at um, university but the fourth year tends to be because they've got all this um, practical work to do as well very often practical placements Mm -hmm. and then we have finally um, uh, um, recognition of prior experiential learning now that is a portfolio-based application for people who have been you know qualified for 100 years but haven't got the BSc at the bottom Mm -hmm. of it Mm-hmm. And um, it's not an easy option. It is portfolio based. They have to produce that. And we give that to an educational specialist to mark. Yeah. Um, but that will phase out. And then to that end, we have put the, the closure date for that. If you haven't qualified before September 2021 then I'm afraid that route is going to be closed to people. Right. So we are really trying to push them toward formal education because there's so many more opportunities now for people mm. to take advantage of, yeah. which there wasn't, I don't think, when you and I qualified. No, the only way <laughs> was to do your human um, I said, training to be a human first, <laughs> training to treat humans first. And, Absolutely. Um, training to be a human yeah and that was that was the only way in and and so you know that was that was all those years ago um but now as you said you know there are very different courses and there are bscs that meet you know your you know your your sort of entry criteria and actually a little bit of a plug for um the program that i manage at hartbury university so i postgraduate veterinary physiotherapy program which is for um chartered physiotherapists but our um we are an accredited educational provider aren't we we're an AEP so my students get to direct entry because they meet all your day one competencies we've mapped our program our modules across to your requirements so our students um they don't need to top up or anything they can um become uh they're eligible to join ramp um straight away which is um obviously a bonus of the course it was nice paperwork that i had to do and i have to refresh <laughs> every you know so many years yeah. um but I, you know it, it is worth it so um it's interesting to hear the different routes into it and you mentioned about the 
the um, that grandfathering, and that was something that happened to, for physiotherapists. It may have happened to other professions as well, but it was certainly something that I can remember. There's a huge amount of fear about people are like, oh, you're going to let you know all these people on, and they're going to call themselves physiotherapists, but actually, they had to demonstrate the same criteria on entry and maintain it as well. Um, so yes, I think it was appropriate that, um, people are given that opportunity and that chance to, um, whether they take it up or not. And that's something that we can't control, isn't it? There are people out there that will be, um, not have the same level of training out there. Um, but we'll be still using the titles because legally they're entitled to, certainly when it comes to, um, a physiotherapy if you put for people that don't know if you put the word equine or canine or animal or veterinary in front of physiotherapy at the moment you can there's nothing stopping you doing that so that's why it's really useful to have this ability to sort of check up on somebody check they're on a register uh you know they might not be at pat but you know if they're on the ramp register then um you know they've they've reached that minimum uh, criteria as well which is um which is good and i'm hoping to have a chat with some of your um uh, chiropractic and osteopathic um uh, sort of well, I'll say equivalents that's rude but you're you know fellow professionals to find out more about their roots because um I'm obviously very biased mm. as a physio and I I I'm not going to hide that bias but that's my profession <laughs> okay so where well, I think I think that I'm oh, sorry I was thinking that that's that's a really good point it's worth it when we were starting with ramp we saw that there was far more um, commonalities between the issues that the different professions had. And we sort of put aside our different philosophies of care and treatment because we had to produce a, a regulatory body. And and it, it was much better to have one that covered all of the profe- the three professions. And I'm, I'm not saying all of them because we do have body workers and hydrotherapists that we just don't have the resources to to have within ramp at the moment because mm-hmm. we are a country register and you know we we only have so many um so many people who are volunteering to be uh, council members and run the organization and we have problems as well because we stay independent and impartial we can't take any commercial sponsorship and we have been offered lots of commercial sponsorship yeah. to okay. to run it which is really lovely but we can't be seen to be biased in any direction. No, no, I can see, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
So mm. then, so moving forwards, then you, know, you set up this organisation. So, um, how many years have you been taking on? So, I put you on the spot there. It must be eight years, is it? Seven or eight years? Um, yeah, the first registrants came on just before two thousand seventeen. So, mm. seven years. We're into our seventh year now. Wow! Gosh. Yes, I was a first registrant. Um, I was also a first MSc in veterinary physiotherapy as well. I started in 1999. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, oh, after graduating yeah. human physio. I've well, seen we're, very, we're very similar to, we're at the same stage, if this makes you feel any better or any worse. But um, the human um, profession of physiotherapy um, was voluntary regulated in 1959 <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't get statutory regulation till um under the prof- uh, profession supplementary to medicine till 1966 mm. autonomy of practice in 1978 and uh, protection of title in 2004 so we've a lot of catching up to do yes <laughs> Hopefully the pathway is already, you know, beaten down. You, you've got a, well, a model awesome. to follow. Um, just for a moment, I'm going to, I, I, I do want to talk about, you know, the future and where you see ramp going. But just you mentioned a word there, autonomy of practice. Can you just explain mm. what that means? So I think that will feed into um, the following question. Well, if you're statutory regulated, you're accountable to a regulatory body. So what um, happens in human care is that you can directly see a patient. So you don't have to go through a GP. You don't have to go through a medical doctor. You can directly ask a patient to look. Uh, the patient can ask directly ask you. In veterinary work, there is legislation that prohibits that. And um, you have to have a written referral from a veterinary surgeon. Now, that was put for very laudable reasons to to try and um, protect the animals. But what has happened is that most of the people who are actually qualified and can, are concerned about um, animal welfare are obviously very happy to work with vets. And we need to work with vets and other allied professions um, to get the best care for our animals. But less scrupulous and less knowledgeable practitioners um don't really take an awful lot of notice of that sometimes so it did mean that um whilst the qualified and highly skilled people were looking for referrals and sometimes not getting them or maybe being under referred to were losing that business and owners were saying well we're not going to get a veterinary referral we'll just go straight to a massage therapist or somebody down the road that hits my horse with a hammer or or whatever so what we anticipate or what we estimate is that there are probably about 2000 practitioners in the country who are eligible for ramp but about 20000 people working um undercover wow. around about and that's based on looking at the courses that are available and the yes. different things that people say so by autonomy of practice, we don't mean we're going to flounce off and do everything ourselves and start doing brain surgery and colic surgery on horses because mm-hmm. we can. It means that we are going to try to get the, we want to work within an integrated team, but we would like to replace the legal responsibility with professional responsibility. So in other words, you are you you are regulated, 
you stick to your code of practice from your regulatory body and you only work within your scope of practice. Yeah. And if you do that, then you can give a first opinion um, on, a, on an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, um, the, there is a very legal grey area in that people can or practitioners can look at a horse for maintenance purposes or performance purposes, and that would be a healthy animal. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is who decides who the when they're asking the the physiotherapist or the chiropractor to look at that animal, who is who is deciding who's the healthy animal? It's actually the owner, isn't it? When they when they phone you now, mm-hmm. some owners are perfectly capable of telling when their animal is perfectly healthy, and probably some not quite so knowledgeable. So um, there is a legal grey area there, and there is a so really we're already working autonomously because the the professional responsibility is. If you go and see an animal and you think that there's something wrong, then obviously you're going to send it back to the vet for for investigation and and for a consultation. But you have to be doing that assessment anyway. So the argument is that if you have regulated practitioners working um, so that they, they can go and see that animal, more highly skilled people will be asked to look at the animal we won't lose these cases if you like to less skilled people who may not um, notice that the animal's lame or a bit dehydrated or not looking so well or whatever and continue to treat them and I think when we speak to vets that's often the very um, that's often their concern that you know they've heard of people who have been going to somebody for MSK treatment for a year and then they see that animal and it's very lame or whatever and they're disappointed in that. Mm -hmm. Now, if that should happen in the case of a registered regulated person, then that should be a complaint. Yeah, so we we yeah. we have that professional responsibility, and and in that way we should man- retain our highly skilled practitioners because we lose them hand over fist now. They they go because they can't make the you know there's under referral under usage, and we you lose these people who are degree level educated, mm-hmm. uh, and and they're certainly the human the people <laughs> the human trained are. Um, find it very often they go back to human treatment rather than um, staying in animal therapy. So we're yeah. losing a lot of skill, skilled people for that. And and again, we've looked at the statistics for that and we've done a survey of practitioners asking them, you know, why they left or why they only work mm. two or you know, three hours a week or whatever in animal work. So I think it is something that we have to really look at, but it certainly is not the case that we want to flounce off and, and do things on our own. We need to work within this multidisciplinary team. And I think the communication would be so much better if there was a less legal requirement on people to get pieces of paper signed. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, actually, you've highlighted a, a big issue in um, the profession, and that is it is communication, isn't it? And actually that mm. discussion and being able to have those discussions with everybody is critical yeah yeah that's interesting okay okay so I think you've actually already alluded to a a little bit of the answer to my next question but um, just to finish up can you just um, let me know what you think the future for RAMP looks like and then 
what the future for the MSK profession, those working in the industry, is going to look like? Well, um, if we think about RAMP, um, we have set standards that we think will um, create a foundation for veterinary um, MSK treatment um, or MSK pra- uh, practice to springboard for, to try and catch up with our human counterparts. And that's really where we would like to be in another few years. We would like to have practitioners um, working with the same professional respect, the same professional autonomy as as they do in the, in the human professions. So we're moving toward we think statutory regulation and that would be um that's not been decided yet there is a in the pipeline there is a revamping of the veterinary surgeons act and that would change the legislation to allow the royal college of veterinary surgeons to regulate other professions other than veterinary surgeons which is all that they can regulate at the moment now there are several models that have been put forward and, and probably not, not for, for tonight. And we don't know which model will be picked and we will have a say at the end of the day. You know, they won't just say this is the model you're you're going to go into and that's it. But we see RAMP's job at the moment of almost making a package of standards which our industry would like to, to work with. Right. And so if that package is taken on by the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, if that's taken on as an associate group to that umbrella, or if it's something completely different that DEFRA decide, you know, that would be the best structure to mm-hmm. fit into. We want this package of that has been agreed and decided by all the industry stakeholders so as that we are not diluted as a profession. And that's one of RAMP's big concerns, that when we, um, if we become statutory regulation, regulated, that the standards will reduce and therefore the effectiveness of the, the treatment that we can give and the care that we can give, that we know we can give um, at a high level is taken away. So we want to maintain the integrity of the professions. We want to make sure that these high standards are maintained in whichever model we find we're um, given or 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 put into suggested we put, go into. We want to make sure that the animals that we treat get good access to um, MSK treatment. And actually, just as a side, you know, we 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 call it musculoskeletal, but we have to remember that there are um, MSK or therapists out there, practitioners out there that are working neuro neurological conditions, respiratory yes. conditions, mm-hmm. and all of these other things. And I'm not quite sure how the acronym ramp would work with with that. So we're going to stick with MSK at the moment, but. It's actually neuromusculoskeletal and respiratory and lots of, and I know there's be lots of people putting their hands up to say that there's other things as well. But we do acknowledge that these other things are going on. But we want to be able to do that. We also want to be able to look at the other professions within um, the MSK work. So body workers, single therapy workers, hydrotherapists, because there's no point in regulating the highly skilled three people from the three professions 
if the other professions aren't regulated. Mm. So um, of for some sort. So whether that will be voluntary or whether it will be statutory, I don't know. As I said earlier, the only reason that RAMP doesn't get involved um, with other professions at the moment is that we just simply do not have the resources. We don't get funding from the government or whatever. Mm. So we have to concentrate on trying to do a good job for the three professions. But I think there will have to be some sort of um, structure put in place for other professions as well in the future. Now, mm. whether this package is called RAMP or whether it's called something completely different, yeah. we don't actually mind. If we can be seen as a placeholder at the moment to build uh, you know, that, the package of the standards and do mm. the due diligence and make sure that people are qualified and 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 actually being referred to appropriately, um, we don't mind if it's called RAMP. We, we're quite happy to hand everything over to somebody else that wants to run it. But something had to happen, and yeah. that something has been RAMP. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're being quite modest because the level of discussion and the groups that you're discussing it, it with are those that do matter. You know, you do have a place at the table, don't you? And you're talking to you know, the veterinary profession and you're talking to the government and there's a lot that is going on. I think um, perhaps a lot of us don't realise, you know, we you, you did send out um, a letter, didn't you, recently? And I was reading it and I was sort of like, oh, OK, so that that's a lot going on and a lot on your, your plate, um, obviously trying to support the professions and actually future proof us um, in terms of being able to deliver what we're good at um, and that we're specialists in for, you know, I'll put in sort of air quotes, you know, animal welfare. And that, that's really what we are we are aiming to do, aren't we? We're prioritising an, the animal in, in all of this to protect them, but also to give us as a profession, and I mean the global us, not just um, um, physiotherapists, but, um, you know, the recognition that I think we deserve with our training and our, 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 the hard work that we do and the successes, you know, that, that yeah. we do have as well. So... Yeah, so personally, thank you, I should say that, and um, to past president as well. You know, I know she did a, a, an awful lot um, and is still involved, isn't she? Um, so, um, yeah, if people want to find out about RAMP, what's the best thing for them to, to do? Well, we have a very information-heavy website, yeah. um, which the, the web developers kept saying, you can't put all that information in, but we, yeah. we kind of felt we had to. Yeah. Um, we have a Facebook page, mm -hmm. which is a public, we have a registrants one, but we also have a public one, which is RAMP, um, Register of Animal Musculoskeletal Practitioners, and that keeps you up to date with everything we do. Mm -hmm. um, we also have um, an, a biennial newsletter in May and November, which is probably what you, you saw, yeah. and that's always published on our news section in the website. So mm -hmm. that's probably a really good way of keeping up because every six months I have to have a, a bit of a recce. And you're quite right, you know, we, we deal, we we speak to the statutory regulators, the 12 professional associations, the two professional associations, BSAVA and BIVA within the Animal Work BVA Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons okay. and all the allied professions, you know, in terms of equine dentists and farriers and, mm. you know, everybody else. So yeah, yeah. it's really, I mean, it's really, it is hard work. And it's, for me, it's three days voluntary work uh, a week, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our council members will put a day in a week. So we are always looking for people. 
who are interested to come and come and help. Yeah. It is unpaid, but we're quite a happy bunch. So anybody yeah. who really feels they want to come and join and help. And you also have a presence at some of the uh, conferences and um, shows that go on, don't you? You have a stand that travels around. Yeah, we've we've been to Beva a couple of times, British Equine Veterinary Association and the British Small Animal Veterinary Association. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been to London Vet Show three times now. Um, and last time we were invited to present a theatre. So we had some of our um, registrants um, giving clinical talks, which is different for RAMP, but mm-hmm. it was what ALVS wanted and it it meant that we could have a presence there without having to to pay for the stand. Ah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so we do try and get out and about. This year we're going to try and get out and about to different um, events to market to the public because mm. I think we a lot of the vets know about us. They are happy that we're doing the due diligence on the qualifications of practitioners and the having the complaints procedure mm. but i think the if we can get out to the public um and we're trying to think of all sorts of schemes that we can do that within our minute marketing budget um <laughs> <laughs> but we we will try and and see what we can do so yeah we do we do go out and about yeah yeah well i saw you last year at a conference and um i think it's uh it's certainly good for people to know what you're doing. And so thank you very much for giving up your time this evening to actually tell us about RAMP and explain some of the details, which um, I find really interesting. I, As I said, I've been a member for a while, um, but you sort of you don't really realise what is happening um, sort of for your money, as it were. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's nice to know that actually i'm i'm quite confident that you're doing a good job on my behalf so <laughs> and also for my students as well so i will keep filling in that annual review paperwork and uh, make sure that we keep yeah. our program up to your standards um mm-hmm. yeah, we want to make sure Hartbury university stays ramp um accredited so yeah so thank you very much for joining me joe thank you very much for having me bye bye i hope you enjoyed this podcast and the stable science series If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.